Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt the Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoyed today's message. Well, I want to share with you some thoughts today. Really, that starts out with a, a sort of a question. I say sort of because it can be stated in, in more than one way, but here, here's the thought. Could it be that the most important question we face in life is intricately connected to the greatest challenge we face in life? Could that be so, that the most important question we face in life is intricately connected to the greatest challenge we face in life. Some would say that, yes, that is true, that they are intricately, they're connected deeply. The, the, the great question, the most important question we face in life is connected deeply to the greatest challenge we face in life. And let me explain myself a little bit here this morning. Sure, there are many questions we have. You might have even woken up this morning, you had some questions on your heart or mind. Uh, some of them are, are very simple questions. Maybe you lifted up a, 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 what I would call a mini prayer, although no, no prayer is mini, but a, a prayer to the Lord, and you, you asked the Lord, well, Lord, what, what lies ahead for me? Maybe you're at a time of uncertainty in your life. Or... You, you ask the Lord, what's going to happen to me now? A new circumstance came into your life, and you're wondering, what's going to happen to me now? Or perhaps you, you thought, well, what's going to happen to my family? Or what's going to happen to the community? And I know many here really care about our nation. And what's going to happen to our nation? Those type of questions. Or maybe in your mind and in your heart, you segue to some other thoughts like, Lord, well, how can I be a blessing to that person? How can there be a blessing to the community? Or this question, Lord, what do you desire of me? What do you desire of me? Maybe these questions might have applied to some of your circumstances, some of your own thinking, or other questions that have come forward. If you think like that, if you're wondering, for example, the last statement that I make, Lord, what do you desire from me? You're, you're tapping into what Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, your thought process. We need a transformation in our thought process. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And as I've gotten to know some of you, I realize that that's an important 
matter for you. You want to do God's will in your life, and it should be for every believer. It should be really that deep inside of us say, thy will be done, not my will be done, just as Yeshua said at Gethsemane. Not my will, Lord, but nevertheless, thy will be done, O Lord. Yet, biblically speaking, and actually in accord with Torah principle, if you go all the way back in the Torah and here at Rosh Pina, we like to look at the whole book from Genesis to Revelation. I've called it the panoramic view. But biblically speaking, and according to Torah principle, those things which are established in the very first books of the Bible, one question seems to override all other questions. And one challenge, arguably defines who we are really in life. And it comes as no surprise if you're thinking, well, what could be that one question and what could be that challenge? It comes as no, as no surprise, perhaps, that you start thinking about some of the gospel narrative, what it's, what's written in the Besorot, the Gospels, and you remember a particular incident, which we'll cover in a moment, where Yeshua, post-resurrection, speaks to Kepha. You remember, I love how the King James says that. Yeshua asked Kepha, he asked Peter, lovest thou me? How many remember that in the Bible? <laughs> I've often wondered what that felt like. Post-resurrection Yeshua, and I encourage you to read it. We're going to read a section of it, to read all of Yohanan chapter 21. It's an amazing chapter. It's a post-resurrection chapter. But there Yeshua is, and he speaks directly to Kepha. And the others were there, by the way. And he says, and again, I'll, I'll, I'll say how the King James says it, Lovest thou me? Can you just imagine what the inflection of the voice was? The tone did he say it softly? Did he say it loudly? We don't have the CD recording of it. But we have the words, lovest thou me. And those words have resonated throughout the centuries till they are here now with us. We read them in John chapter 21, lovest thou me? And then there's also a challenge, which sometimes we forget. Three times, lovest thou me, lovest thou me, lovest thou me, Kepha, Peter, lovest thou me, do you love me? But then two times he says to him afterwards, he says, basically, if so, then follow me. Follow me. Can you say that, please? Follow me. Yeshua was telling Kepha, follow me. Lovest thou me? Follow me. And these two are connected intricately in the gospel. Here, let's look at it in John chapter 21. Beginning with verse 14. This is now the third time Yeshua showed himself to his Talmudim, his disciples, after he was raised from the dead. So when they had eaten breakfast, and by the way, guess who prepared that breakfast? Yeshua. So when they had eaten breakfast, Yeshua said to Shimon Kepha to Simon Peter, Shimon Bariona, Simon son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? <laughs> I 
What a question you think about. You talk about, how, would you have felt on the spot if you were asked that in front of everyone else? Do you love me more than these? Peter said to him, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Yeshua said to Kepha, again, Peter, feed my lambs. Yeshua said to him a second time, Shimon bar Yona, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Lovest thou me? And Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Yeshua said to him, tend my sheep. Yeshua said to him the third time, Shimon bar Yona, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because Yeshua said it to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Yeshua said to Peter, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, Yeshua continues, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death Peter would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, Yeshua said to him, and there's these two words, follow me. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Yeshua loved following, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who's the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Yeshua, but Lord, what about this man? Yeshua said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Now, the question we face in our generation, you and me together, all of us, we face in our generation the very same one that Peter faced in his, and Yeshua is asking us perhaps, lovest thou me? Do you really love me? Yeshua is asking us. That question has gone through the centuries and challenged us Many of you have read these words previously, heard message on these, and it's challenged you. Lovest thou me? Do you really love me? And it's more than just the fiddler on the roof song. Do you love me? How many of you know what I'm talking about with that one? <laughs> it's more than that. This question, this piercing and probing question, it's not a lot of verbiage. It's not a lot of, you know, theology. It's just, do you love me? And here's the challenge. It's pretty plain in the text. The challenge Yeshua is presenting to his people today is very similar to what he presented to Kepha at that time when he asked him three times, do you love me? That challenge is this, will you follow me? Do you love me? Will you follow me? How many believe those two are connected? They are. If we really love the Lord, we're going to what? We're going to do his bidding. He said it this way, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You'll keep my sayings, what I say. Now, our personal answer to the question here today 
That question, if we personalize it, that question is, do I love Yeshua? We can ask ourselves that. Do I love Yeshua? Our answer to that is actually being exhibited every single day of our lives. Everyone. No exception. As long as we are breathing, that's being exhibited in our lives. We show forth our answer to that question, do I love you, Yeshua? We show forth our answer in how we approach life in general, how we treat one another. By this shall all men know that you are my Talmudim. How? If you have love one for another. We show that how we treat one another. We show that how we relate to the community of believers and the community at large. We show our answer to whether or not we love Yeshua. And what we aspire to in life. And what's, what are our goals in life? We show again our love in the place of Yeshua in our life, in our hearts. And how we live out our lives. How we deal with material things shows that. How we treat others, as I've already mentioned. Do we extend grace or do we extend judgment? Do we love Yeshua enough that we will follow him? That we'll follow him and let him order our lives by his Holy Spirit? Do we love him that much that we'll do his will? I understand, I think, just a little glimpse, a little feeling of how Kepha must have felt to be asked three times by the Lord, do you love me? Do you love me? Lovest thou me? After spending that time with him, how he must have felt, how Kepha must have felt. Really, he comes up with a, if you recall, he comes up with a very profound statement. He says, <laughs> have you ever come to this in your life where you just said, Lord, you know all things? And have you ever come to that place in your life? Lord, you know all things. We sang today that song, search my heart, search me, O Lord, and know my ways. Psalm 139 assures us that there's nothing hidden from him, that even in the, in the womb, the child being formed is known of the Lord. There's nothing hidden. So do we love, do we love Yeshua enough that we will follow him and let his Holy Spirit guide our lives? Or will we do what Isaiah 53 proclaims, each one of us turning to our own way? Each one of us following our own desires, our own will, doing our own thing as our society states it. Friends, that's a big question. That question that Kepha faced 2,000 so years ago is a question we face too. Yeshua's message remains the same, I believe, the same to us. It remains the same even though societies have changed. And some of you, a little older perhaps, recognize that when you look at a map of Africa and you look at a map of Asia and you look at a, even of Europe to some degree, you look at a map and you see names of countries that they're not there anymore. The names have been changed. How many remember where Rhodesia is? How many of you remember where Siam is? How many remember those places? 
Those kingdoms may change, and the rulers may change, and the societies may change. The kingdoms and the kings can come and go, but our lives still face similar questions that Yeshua did, and our lives pass quickly, very quickly. Yeshua's message is the same. Listen to this, please, from Matthew chapter 16. Then Yeshua said to his Talmudim, Matthew 16, verse 24, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross, the tree, the execution stake, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And then these powerful words in verse 26, for what profit is it to, to a man, or to anybody, if he gains the whole world and what? And loses his own soul. Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father. By the way, do you know that he's coming? He's coming back again, and we don't know the day nor the hour. It could be soon. We don't know. For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his malachim, his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Let's read that last part together. He will reward each according to his works. Please read it again with me one more time. He will reward each according to his works. Do you believe it's important what you do, how you do it, the way you do it, for whom you do it? It's extremely important. This message delivered initially to the Talmudim, the disciples, the Shlichim, the apostles in the first century, still resonates to us. The message is there. Now, in a parallel, in a parallel manner, in a parallel manner, there's the incident that's called in Hebrew the Egel Hazav, the golden calf. And I'm suggesting to you here this morning that these incidents, the first at John 21 and the golden calf incident, which is part of Parashat Kitisa, this week's Torah portion, they're actually linked together. They are thematically linked together. They are principally linked together. There are truths that connect these two passages, even though there are many books apart in the Bible. But Genesis to Revelation speaks with one voice from the Lord to his people. So here's, here's what happens. At that time, if you read the Torah portion, or I don't want to say if you saw the, the movie, but most of us have, Ten Commandments. <laughs> At that time, there were many among Israel who had just come out of Egypt. There were many. Let's, let's give the correct focus here. There were many who chose to follow the Lord. But then there were the people of the golden calf who chose not to. There were those who preferred the sinful, fleshly living, idolatrous living that is connected with the golden calf. Well, the text tells us that their destiny, <laughs> the destiny they attained <laughs> could be best described with one word, pun intended, abysmal 
One word, abysmal outcome. Let's read some of it. Exodus Shemot chapter 32, verse 1. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, by the way, how are you good at being, at waiting? Are you good at waiting on people? <laughs> Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mound, the people gathered together to Aharon and said to him, Come, make us gods, thou shalt go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Verse 2, And Herod said to them, And man, you listen to this, you wonder what happened here. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. Verse 3, So all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And Aaron received the zahab, the gold, from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. Then they said... This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast of the Lord, to the Lord. Verse 6, then they rose early. Didn't you notice that? They rose early on the next day. They were really quick and really connected and really desiring to do this. Because if you really desire something, you're willing to sacrifice some, sometimes sleep, sleep. They rose early on the next day. They offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to notice three things it says they did. They sat down to eat, to drink, and the third thing is to play. They sat down to eat, to drink, and play. It sounds so much like as it was in the days of Noah. So shall it be the coming of the Son of Man. This text may describe a people back then, but there's still a people like that now. We must be far away from that in our lives. We need to be answering with our lives and what we're saying and doing. Lovest thou me? We need to be showing, yes, Lord, I love you. And when he says, follow me, be led of my spirit, we need to be saying and showing in our lives, yes, Lord, I'm following you. I want to be led of your spirit. Help me. Guide me. Search me as we sang today. Now, clearly, the people of the golden calf, they went grossly and vastly astray. How many agree with that? They, they, they went astray. Remember, it wasn't all of Israel. It was a group among the group. They went vastly astray. And there are many major errors, errors that they did. But I want to share with you three briefly. Three major errors they made, the people of the golden calf. And you can be sure that such errors are still present in the world we live today. And can I say this? you may even find these things in the body of Messiah. Error number one, they invested their time in material blessings. And by the way, the very blessings and material things that God had caused them to receive from the Egyptians, 
They've invested all that into the idolatrous enterprise that was connected to the golden calf. Error number one. Error number two. They worshipped a false god and held to a false hope. They really thought this God could help them. What a false hope that was. The golden calf, the Egel Hazahav, could be a place that they could place their hope and trust and worship. So they worshipped a false God and held to a false hope rather than the God of Israel, the very one who had just performed miracles and brought them forth from Mitzrayim, from Egypt. They held to the false hope of the golden calf rather than the God of Israel who offers refuge and living hope, a hope that will not disappoint. And error number three, and perhaps arguably this one, this one, can I use the term, is more damning than the others. Here it is. These people, the people of the golden calf, Refuse to repent. Refuse to repent. It's a curious study when you look at Scripture that when some of these travesties happen within the community of Israel, there's usually a time lag. Even in the days of Noah, there was a long period of time where people could have changed their mind and their thinking. Even at Sodom and Gomorrah, there's a long period of time they could have changed their way of thinking right on through to the time of Yeshua and beyond. But they didn't. The people of the golden calf didn't change their way. They went forward with what they were doing. They invested in it. They gave themselves and their material things, everything into that. And as the Torah points out so starkly, Eventually, the people of the golden calf succumbed to the very pit of darkness when they could have been instead basking in the revelation of God shown forth by the light of Moshe's countenance. What did they do instead? Golden calf. They invested themselves, their materials, everything into the golden calf. Here's what happens. Exodus chapter 32, verse 7. And the Lord said to Moses, notice Moses is up with God, and this is happening below with Aaron and the people. And I'd like to point out to you, and notice this please, that the Lord knew exactly what the people were saying below at the bottom of the mountain. He knew what they were saying and he knew what they were doing. By the way, does the Lord know what we say and does the Lord know what we do? I assure you, he does. He hasn't changed. The one who created the eye can see, the one who created the ear can hear. And even if we put doors in between us, it makes no difference. In this case, it was from the mountaintop he heard. And the Lord said to Moses, go, get down. For your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Are we in a generation of people that have corrupted themselves? We need to make sure that we are pulling them out of that. That point three error of them not repenting, we need to call to repentance, first of all ourselves, but also others. 
And the Lord said to Moses, go get down for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. And he describes more, notice in verse 8. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped and sacrificed to and said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Did God know exactly what they said? Yes. He repeats it to Moses. And the Lord says to Moses, notice this, I have seen this people. Not only did he hear them, he saw them. I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them. It says in the Hebrew, and I will make of you, Moses, a goy gadol, a great nation. I don't know how Moses responded to that, but I do know this, that if he knew what God's call to Abraham was, God uses the same term to Abraham. In Genesis chapter 2, 12 verse 2, it says, God promises Avram at that time, I'm going to make of you a great nation. And later he says, and you all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. And God offers that same thing to Moses. Genesis 12, 2 is what he said to Abraham. I will make you a great nation, a goy gadol. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In verse 3, when Moses hears this, there's two ways he could have responded, at least. One could have been, yeah, thank you, Lord. These people are just too much for me, too. And after all, didn't God call them your people, Moses? And he could have said, yeah, I'm out of this. Man, I don't have to do this thing anymore. I'm dropping them. Lord, you take care of them. It's me and you, Lord. Some people have that kind of spiritual mentality, just them and the Lord, and it doesn't matter what anyone else is doing. It's them. But Moses is aghast, and I don't, it's hard to say, but when he hears Goik, Adol, a great nation, that's exactly what had been said to Abraham. Notice what happens in verse 11, Exodus 32, please. Then Moses, rather than saying, yeah, Lord, do it, and you, we'll ride into the sunset together. What does Moses do? And this is the greatness of Moshe Rabbeinu. Then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God. He pleaded with the Lord. Have you pleaded for the lost around you? Have you got on your face and asked God to touch them? It's so easy to just cast judgments on them, so easy to put them down, so easy to push them aside as if they're, they're not worth anything. But they are so valuable that Messiah gave his life for them and for us. And Moses pleaded, and Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, Exodus 32, verse 11, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power 
And with a mighty hand, he asked God a divine question. Why should the Egyptians speak and say, he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth? And Moshe continues pleading. He says, turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. And then, this is a possible clue that the term goy gadol got through to Abraham. Then he says, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, Jacob, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of I give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. How long is that? <laughs> I wonder who the rightful owners of the land of Israel might be, the Jewish people. <laughs> All this land that I have spoken of, I give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. In verse 14, hallelujah for this verse, because it could go any direction here. We know what happens because we know the narrative, but God could have went any direction. You know what it says, verse 14, hallelujah for this. So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. Now, many have tried over the centuries, and they've tried in the name of God, I might add, to cast off the Jewish people. They've tried. They've wanted to confine Israel, the Jewish people, to the dung heap of society or the dung heap of history. Not God. Not God. He's faithful. Even if we're faithless, he is faithful because he can't deny his own nature. That's who he is. Romans chapter 11, verse 29 says it very succinctly. It's clear in my opinion. See what you think. Romans eleven twenty nine. in these three chapters are about Israel and the, the theology of Israel and the Jewish people. Romans eleven twenty nine. as we come to the culmination of that third chapter, Romans 11, it says this, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Irrevocable. That changes dramatically if that last word is changed to revocable, doesn't it? Would you agree that changes dramatically? For the gifts and the calling of God are revocable. Oh, that changes this whole picture. But the text, and it's proved in many other places, the text says, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. The Amplified Bible says it this way. Listen, please, to this. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. Now, Amplified Bible being what Amplified Bible is, it gets a little verbose after that. So, for God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. And then it continues, he never redraw, withdraws them when once they are given. And he does not change his mind about those to whom he gives his grace or to whom he sends his call. Isn't that good news for you and me today? that he extends grace to us, that we are in a season now where those who will repent and turn to the Messiah can receive grace from his heavenly throne. And when all is said and done, Moses, just like Peter did in John chapter 21, Moses had to answer 
life's major question and then faced that major challenge. The question was, would Moses love God and obey him? Would Moses do what God wanted or would Moses do what Moses wanted? This is one, this scenario we just looked at is one of the many places where Moses could have gone a different direction, going all the way back to the very beginning of his life and all the way forward to the very end of his life. For the most part, the biblical text shows us that Moses did exactly what God wanted him. For the most part, he was flesh and blood and he made a mistake or two, <laughs> to put it mildly. Now, I want to conclude here with some thoughts here, if I might. You know, friends, that is the question and the challenge you face today. The question, do you love the Lord? The challenge, will you follow him? Do you love the Lord? Will you follow him? That's what we all face, isn't it? Our everyday life, we're working that through. We're exhibiting how we respond to that in the way we speak, in the way we act, in our generosity, in our actions towards others, in our grace extended, all the things that we mentioned and much more than I haven't. Do you love the Lord today? Will you follow him? Each day we're showing our response. Each day that God gives us, we show forth our response. So let's review the three errors again that the, chil that the children of the, the people of the golden calf generation, what they did. Number one, they invested their time and material blessing, the same gold God caused them to receive from the Egyptians into the idolatrous enterprise that we call the golden calf. Error number two, they worshiped a false god and held to a false hope. And error number three, and again, perhaps the most, uh, the most dire of them all, they refused to change their ways and repent. Friends, I don't believe we're called to be the people of the golden calf. We are called to be true spiritual sons and daughters of the God of Israel. That's where we're called, followers of our Messiah. So I'm going to leave you with two very hard-hitting passages. They're both from the words of Yeshua, and I'll leave you with these, and we'll close with prayer. The first one is something Yeshua said that's recorded in Luke chapter 8, verse 17. He said this, for nothing is secret that will not be revealed. <laughs> The word nothing's a big word there. <laughs> For nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. And then this one, Yohanan, John chapter 6, verse 37. Be encouraged by this one, please. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And I can't tell you how many times in my life, the next phrase has been right there for you too. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast down. He's not going to cast you out. Let's pray together and we'll conclude. Please just lift your heart to the Lord here today. It's been my privilege to share some of these thoughts. But most important is your relationship with the Lord. Do you love him?
Will you follow him? Those two go together, the great question and the great challenge. If you love him, you're going to show it, and you're going to follow him. May we be his Talmi deem in this sinful and adulterous generation. May we not be the people of the golden calf. May we be the people of the God of Israel, redeemed through his son, Yeshua, our Messiah. Let's pray. Father, we praise you this day for the treasury that is your word. Thank you, Lord, for preserving your word all these centuries. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness that you have not cast off the Jewish people, even if they have been marginalized over the centuries and persecuted. Lord, you are, you keep covenant. You are faithful even when we're faithless. Lord, I pray for each person here, each person hearing these words, that you would work in each of our hearts, that we might be true Talmudim, we might be your people, not people of the golden calf. And we would show our devotion to you through our actions and our words, knowing that nothing is hidden from your sight. And it's with you that we have to do. Please help us, Lord, in our insufficiency. For Messiah has been made our sufficiency. Please help us, Lord, in our weaknesses. The Lord is our strength. Please help us, Lord, when we lack wisdom. Messiah has been made wisdom unto us. Please help us, O oh Lord, as we seek to do your will. Because your word says that if anyone comes to you, you will in no wise cast them out. Thank you for your mercy this day. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your word of truth. In Yeshua's name, amen. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pinah Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 10.40 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at roshpinah.org. Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.